Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 12. The, uh, the one thing that we do need to keep in mind as we begin to look through this, uh, this short, honestly short verse in the book of Romans is that this verse has not been detached from the context of this chapter. Um, I know we, we have said that many times, especially over the last couple weeks in reference to Romans chapter number 12, but these are the sections of the books of the Bible that we have a tendency to pull from the meaning of the letters that Paul wrote and to apply them to ourselves without the meaning that he gave earlier in the scriptures. And we know this from the different books of Scripture. We've, we can read Galatians or Ephesians or whatever epistle that Paul wrote. And Paul does the same thing. And I know, again, that we've talked about this. But he spends the first part of every book, Ephesians. He takes chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 to explain the truth behind what he's going to say in chapters 5 and 6. And again, Romans, we've, we've looked at. He takes chapters 1 through 11 to explain the truth behind what he's getting ready to explain in a practical way, chapters 12 through chapter 16. So we've got to come to the text tonight with chapters 1 through 11 still in mind and coming off of the beginning of chapter number 12, which says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. If we jump down to chapter number 12 or verse number 12, we can get part of Paul's practical advice, practical command in this service chapter. He says in verse number 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And I best <laughs> told Lindsay this morning, I bet anybody can guess what the points are going to be tonight. Um, but we are going to be looking at the mercies of God that call us to rejoice in hope. Number one, to persevere or have patience or endure in prayer or in tribulation, number two, and be to be devoted or instant in prayer will be point number three. And again, Paul, what he does in this scripture is he takes the opportunity to link these three things together in reference to the mercy of God. But this isn't something that he does just in this one place. There are countless other times in different portions of Scripture that we can see where Paul links these ideas of hope, tribulation, and prayer together. If we remember back in Romans chapter number 5, and we can turn over there real quickly, Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 3 through 5, Paul basically tells us the same thing. Chapter 5, verse number 3 says, And not only so... But we glory in tribulation, knowing tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. For hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And if you remember, we were actually would have been, when we covered this portion of Scripture, we would have been turned the other way in the building, looking towards the piano, 
And we looked at a basically a circular pattern of what God has put in place for his children. Because in this section of scripture, Paul says, Patience leads to experience, experience to hope. Hope maketh not ashamed, points us back to God, and gives us the patience that we're going to need to experience the things that are going to give us hope, that's going to send us back to giving us patience for what we need. So God has put this circular pattern in place in the life of the believer, and Paul is calling us back to what he said in Romans chapter number 5, verses number 3 through 5. Because he says not only in those sections of Scripture earlier, this is what God does, but he says, this is what I want you to do. And that's where we can see the truth behind Paul's message played out in a practical way. Because he's telling us to do something that he's already told us that God does in our life. He says, rejoice in hope. Patient and tribulation continue instantly in prayer. So we can't detach this section of Scripture, this, this command that Paul is giving us from the truth that Paul has already given us in Romans chapter number 5, verses number 3 through 5. But as we come to this and see this as an exhortation or a command that Paul gives we need to dive into what he's actually telling us to do. So we understand that it's the Spirit in us and God working these things already in our hearts that enables us to do these things. But what exactly is Paul telling us to do? And like I said, he's pretty explicit. We don't have to guess at what Paul is telling us to do. We don't have to guess at the command of God. He says, number one, I want you to rejoice in hope. So we will look at how the mercies of God call us to rejoice in hope. And we're looking at this in the context of service. Last week, we talked about us being fervent in serving the Lord and how that should play out in our lives practically. So if Paul is telling us this in the context of our service, then we need to understand what it means in the context of our service. So to back up and get a, a bird's eye view of what he's saying here, and in light of what we looked at in chapter number five, Paul is telling us that God is working these things in your life. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, then he is working patience through tribulation hope and prayer in your life. Even, even as closely back as Romans chapter number eight, we saw how God works prayer in our heart and we'll cover some of that once we get to that section of this verse. But here specifically, Paul is talking about our service in the work of God. What we do in our daily lives working for our Father. So how do these things play out in that context? How can we rejoice in hope in a context of Christian service? Paul tells us this, but what he doesn't mean when he says rejoice in hope, he's not talking about a joy that is a happiness in circumstances. He's not saying that I want you just to be happy in all of your circumstances no matter what happens no matter what person dies, no matter what tragedy happens in your life, no matter what kind of persecution that you come under, I just want you to be happy about it. Uh, because honestly, those people are just annoying. 
It's annoying when somebody is just happy all the time about everything. Even the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. We're, we're to take on the burdens of our fellow believers. And if we are happy all the time, and we're just that bubbly person who never sees the bad in anything, we can't accomplish what God has told us to accomplish to take on the burden of someone who is weeping. We're just going to agitate their affliction. We're going to make it worse. There are people that that I know that are like that. It's a personality trait for them, but they're happy about everything. And honestly, when I get up in the morning and I've not slept good and I don't feel great, I don't even, honestly, I don't think my brain wakes up to about 10 o'clock anyway. But when I feel like that, the last thing that I want is somebody coming up to me happy and singing and just full of joy because I'm not feeling it. But that's not what biblical joy is. It's not that happy about circumstances. And it's not a personality. And that's one thing that we can get confused about as children of God to think that we are somehow showing out some great outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit, but when it's really just our personality. I can look at myself and say, well, I'm just a patient, meek person. But in reality, that's just my personality. I'm, I'm more of a go-with-the-flow, people-pleasing kind of a person. That's not necessarily making me a more spiritual person than somebody else because it's my personality. And in that same way, biblical joy isn't a personality trait. It's not something that some people are given and some people aren't. It's not even a gift like we looked at a few weeks ago. It's not a gift where some people are given joy and some people are not given joy. But biblical joy... It's not a facade either. It's not something that we put on when we come to church and make sure everybody thinks we're having a wonderful time in the service of God. We're just, our week is gone wonderful. Everything is so beautiful because we're at church. And then when we leave, we're able to take that mask off, take that facade off and be ourselves again. What Paul's calling us to in this section of scripture is a biblical joy. So if we want to understand what a biblical joy is, we need to look at the word that Paul uses because Paul tells us in the text what biblical joy is. When Paul uses the word rejoicing here, the word that he uses means to be calmly happy. Another word that goes along with that is a word that we in English, Noah's content. Paul is basically saying, be calmly happy, be content in your hope. And we can see that even played out in Paul's life because what did he tell the Philippians? He said, I have learned in whatever state I am there to be content. What Paul was saying to the Philippian church is that even when he was under tribulation, when he was under persecution, when he was in jail or when he was in the synagogue or whether he was out witnessing to somebody on the street, he was content in whatever state that he was in. He was rejoicing because of his hope. That's what Paul's telling us, that in our Christian service, we're called to be content, calmly happy, to be enjoying where God has put us in any place and time in our life. It's not to mean that we're going to be bursting out with joy over this, but we're going to be content because we have the hope that God has given us. And that's why he says rejoicing 
in hope. He doesn't disconnect our joy from the source of our joy. Paul's basically saying here is he's teaching us how we can be content in ordinary service. How we can be okay with the menial tasks, the day-to-day life that we have as Christians. How can we be happy about going to work? How can we be happy about talking to people? How can we be happy about any of the things that go on in our life that are ordinary? Because we remember our hope. We can be fine with the things that... We can be okay with the fact that we may not have gotten a promotion. We can be okay with the fact that people are seemingly mocking us for our beliefs. We can be okay with these things because we know they're a part of our hope. They're a part of the plan of God. Paul is ultimately calling us here to remember our hope, which will in turn produce a joy or a contentment in us. So what is our hope? Well, Paul, really, if we remember back what he said in the previous chapters, we can understand that there are are basically two aspects of our hope. There's a, a focused present hope, but there's also a future glorious hope. We can see our our present hope. We can find that completely inboxed inside of the gospel. I mean, right here, gospel focus. That's that's what we're about as a body of believers is a focus on the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying your hope every day that you live is found no further than the gospel itself. You can be who you are in service to God because you know that God sees you accepted in Christ. You can serve Him every day, not leaving that day thinking, well, I didn't do enough, or I I didn't live up to these standards that have been placed on my life, or I didn't witness to this person far enough. I didn't say the right words to this person when they asked me a question about Christianity or the gospel. You don't go to bed at night with those fears, Because your focus is in the gospel. You remember that in Christ, God sees you as accepted even when you fail. And in Christ, just as Paul said, you may have been planting a seed, you may have been watering, but you can't give the increase anyway. It's only God that can give the increase. So we're looking to the gospel, the finished work of Christ, for our hope in our present everyday life. But what it also calls us to is our future hope of the coming kingdom of God. What does Jesus tell his disciples to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we're looking forward to a kingdom of God that will come. We're looking forward to a renewed creation. God's not just going to hit rewind on everything that he did and take us back to Adam so we can start over again. But he's going to renew everything that he's done. He's going to make it new. If you read the book of Revelation, you can, you can use and hear these terms that, that John uses about the renewal that God is going to do. He talks about new things, new heavens, new earth, new ways of life. All of this coming kingdom is to be our focus on our future. God is building these things today. 
We can not only see the focus in present tense, but in future tense, we can see that what we're doing today matters because God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul says in Ephesians that God is taking and putting stones together, building up something for himself, building his kingdom. That's exactly what Peter tells us in the book of 1 Peter. He says that he is putting living stones Stones that are alive together, and he has made them a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, which doesn't mean weird. It means called out. It means he has said, I'm going to use you over here in this place. Mm-hmm. That's what I was always taught. I was always taught peculiar meant weird. And it blew my mind the day that I found out that peculiar in Peter's book did not mean weird. It meant called out, which goes into the context a lot better, but that's neither here nor there. What we need to do is understand that the source of this hope is the God of hope. Just like Brother James prayed this morning, we are seeking not just after the hope, but the God of the hope. Because that is the source of this rejoicing, this contentment in our life. The source is the God of hope. The power is the spirit of hope. The renewal of this is the prayer in hope. And the result is joyful hope, contentment, calmly happy that we're okay with the things that we're going to be going through. And the reason that Paul uses rejoicing in hope is because of the very next phrase that he uses, patient in tribulation. Paul's not disconnecting these things. He's wanting to make sure that we understand what true joy looks like. Calvin put it this way. He said that we, this, is, this section of scripture is, not, is a call not to be content with earthly joys, but to be constantly focused on a future glory. Part of what God is doing by focusing us on Christ is so that we don't become content with earthly things. We don't become okay with The rat race. We don't become okay with the American dream. We don't become okay with climbing the corporate ladder or even climbing the religious ladder. We don't become okay with any of these things because our focus is on the plan and the purposes of God and his building of a church. Practically played out, our feelings of joy should always follow our thoughts of God and not vice versa. Because what we have a tendency to do is think to myself, I'll, I, and I will, I'll, I'll admit to this anyway, is to think, well, I'm not feeling happy today. So obviously I am failing in my service to God because I don't feel like I'm doing what I need to be doing. I don't feel excited to pick up the scriptures. The song on the way to work did not, Make me want to stop the car and run around and shout up a hill. Those feelings aren't there. But what we have a tendency to do is let those feelings drive our thoughts about God and his purposes. Where what Paul is calling us to do is to separate our feelings away and allow our thoughts of God and who God is to cause us to feel the way that we feel. And it's not always going to change our, our, ourselves drastically. But if, again, if anybody here is like me, 
there are have been countless times that I have not felt like coming to church. There have been times where I've not felt like getting up to lead singing. There have been times that I've just not felt it. But as I've gotten up and as I've begun to sing, I'm singing what God has said about me and what God has said about himself. And even though I don't become this enthusiastic person, God does work that contentment in my heart so that I remember who I am and whose I am. And all of the feelings that I have, while they're still there, the feelings of inadequacy, the feelings of not doing enough, all those feelings may still be there. They kind of move themselves to the back burner as God takes the main stage. And that's what Paul is calling us to do, is to remember our hope so that we can find our contentment there. Because if we're going to be content in the ordinary service of God, we're only going to find it in Him. I'm not going to be content with my service to God tomorrow. I'm not content with my service to God today. In and of myself, I'm not happy with it. But we can rejoice. We can be content. We can be calmly happy. In our everyday, ordinary service to God, we understand our hope in the gospel and our hope that God is building his kingdom. So we have rejoice and hope. And we need this rejoicing and hope because of the next phrase that Paul uses, patient in tribulation. The word patient here, in other places, Paul uses enduring or persevering, continuing. But the word that he uses here is a little bit different than his typical word for patience. When Paul says patient in tribulation... He actually uses a word that Jesus used in the book of John, chapter number 15. It's not the exact same word that Jesus used, but it's the same thought that he was conveying. Jesus said that if we are going to be fruitful, we can only do that through him. He said, without me, you can do nothing. But he said, if I abide in you, then you abide in me, then you will see fruit produced because you're connected to the vine. You're connected to the source of the fruit. And that's the same word that Paul uses here for patience and tribulation. It's not contrary to what he's just said. He's told us to be content or calmly happy. And then he tells us to be abiding in tribulation. Now, Paul's not saying, I want you to be in tribulation your whole life. Paul is, in essence, telling us you are going to be in tribulation your whole life. But we can only understand that. We understand the word tribulation, and we've talked about this in a few other places that Paul uses this word. The word for tribulation in the Scriptures isn't what we think. The word for tribulation in the Scriptures does not mean gas shortages. It does not mean plagues of locusts, and it does not mean that there are going to be people who are trying to stone us when we're out in public. That's not tribulation in the Scriptures. Tribulation in the Scriptures is a pulling at or pushing against. That's why Jesus said if we are his, we will have tribulation because we are not part of the world. We're not part of that world system. What we're looking towards, what we're building towards is the kingdom of God, not a kingdom of ourselves. So the reason that there is a pushing against me every day 
is because I'm not going in the same direction that everybody else around me is going. I have, I have, as a child of God, fixed my eyes on the author and the finisher of my faith, not upon myself and my own ability. At least that's what I should be doing. And what Paul is telling us is when you are doing this, you are going to have tribulation. You're going to have that pressing against. And again, that's why Jesus said that you would have tribulation in the world, because you are different. Paul is saying in your service, in the context of your service, you're going a different direction than everybody else is going. You are laying yourself down. You're presenting your body a living sacrifice. And the guy beside of you, who is not in Christ, is not laying his body down a lick of being sacrificed on a day-to-day basis. He's not laying anything down. Because of his nature, he's corrupt. He's sinful. He's bent in. What, on, I think it was last week the question that we read said that, it, that we are bent in on ourselves. It's not because we can look at somebody and think, they're, well, they're just worse than everybody else. But it's our nature. It's inside of us. <laughs> if, you go to the, if you go to the zoo, you're not going to find a gorilla acting like a lion. You're not going to find a lion that won't eat meat, will only eat salads. You're not going to find a rabbit that attacks a tiger and tears its insides out. Why? Because it's not their nature. And our nature by ourselves, before we are regenerated by the Spirit, is not one of laying ourselves down for others. It's one of selfishness. It's one of going our own way. It's the one of trying to achieve for ourselves. And Paul is telling us that because we have been renewed, we have been transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we are now laying ourselves down a living sacrifice because we've seen the mercies of God, that we're going a different direction than the world's going. We're in tribulation. And yes, there will be times that that tribulation is more in line with our thoughts. But there's going to be times that it's not. There's going to be times that we look around and think, well, we have a pretty decent life. We are, things aren't that bad. There may be times that we look around and, and see intense persecution and even people being killed for their faith. That's happening in other countries. Yes. But what Paul's telling us that in any case of tribulation, whether it's intense tribulation or it's just a, a going against the world system, laying yourself down for others, that we need to have patience. We need to be abiding in that hope that he just has talked about. Again, Paul's pointing us back to the gospel in the future kingdom by saying you can abide in this hope and therefore be able to get through the tribulation. You can be okay that you're going against the world and the world is going against you because Christ is going with you. He's not separated himself from you. That's what we've looked at on Sunday mornings for the past 14 or 15 weeks is Christ praying for his own. And we will be as safe in this world as Christ allows us to be. Right. Right. Amen. If we've been given to Christ, we're as safe as he is. My kids tonight will be as safe as their father is in their house. And guess what? Something can happen to me. 
But nothing's ever going to happen to Christ, nor to those that have been entrusted to him. And that's what Paul is trying to convey, is that we can endure through tribulation and be patient in tribulation, abiding, enduring, going through this tribulation, this, this strain or this squeeze on us in our service to God because we see the hope of our Savior. We see the hope of our future. And then Paul turns and he explains the, what we call the refilling or the renewal of this hope in the last part of this verse. He says, continuing instant in prayer. And what I termed this or what I put down in the bulletin was that we are to be devoted to prayer or devoted in prayer. The word that Paul uses for continuing instant is the same word that he uses with Timothy. He says, be instant in season and out of season. He's telling him as a pastor, I want you to be ready no matter what comes. To be able to give out what you need to give out when you need to give it out. He's saying, I don't want you. <laughs> We're not taking texts to browbeat somebody when they're down. Right. Because that's not being instant in season and out of season. That's right. And what Paul's saying here is I want you to be instant in season and out of season in the context of prayer. The word Paul uses here for continuing instant in prayer is it means to, to lean toward or to bear a burden, which took me almost directly back to chapter number 8 and verse number 26. And you can turn there if you would like, but chapter 8, verse number 26, Paul tells us, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Look up in verse number 25. But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Sound familiar? Paul hasn't disconnected his book. Paul's Paul's not changed lanes in what he's saying. He's still saying the same thing that he began to say from the beginning. But what we can see here is that we're to be leaning toward or burden bearing or instant in our prayers. But we can do this because of the truth in chapter number 8, verse number 26. Because we have someone that helps our infirmities. And if we remember back to when we covered this section of Scripture, it literally means that we don't know what to pray. We don't know what we're supposed to say. We don't know who we're supposed to pray for, why we're supposed to pray for them, when we're supposed to pray for them. We don't know these things. But we have someone who helps us carry these burdens to the, to the cross, carry these burdens to the throne of God. And it says that he makes groanings of intercession that cannot be uttered. It means that even though when we don't know what to say, God knows what to say because God knows what his plan is. Yeah. And again, we, we covered this when we looked at the section of Scripture. So when I pray something for a brother or a sister in Christ, what the Spirit does is he says, this is what he means. 
That's why we can be continuous in prayer. That's why we can, can go before God praying because we know that the Spirit is translating our prayers to God. He's saying, this is what he said, but this is what he means. Yeah. Our prayers are being answered even when we don't think that they're being answered. And that's why Paul tells us in verse number 12 to continue instant in prayer. He's saying that because of this hope and because we're abiding in tribulation, we need to be looking around us and be ready to have that spirit of prayer with the knowledge that God is working what he's working. It calls us back to the fact that we are a part of the plan of God because he has chosen to allow us to be part of the plan of God and he is working in us his plan. So we can rejoice, we can have biblical joy because we focus on our hope. We can abide, we can continue in tribulation because we see our hope and we can be continuous in prayer reminding ourselves of our hope because that's what we need in our everyday service our everyday life, we need to remember that the Spirit is there helping us through all of it. Yeah. He's the power behind this joy in us right. because He's there carrying those burdens in prayer. That's why Paul uses the word. He, he says it's, 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 it's to lean on... It, it's the same thought as somebody... Leaning on something to get their breath. That's the same word Paul uses. Same thing that he was saying back in chapter number 8. Because we have someone who is able to carry the load when we can't. And we can't carry that load of prayer. We don't know what we need. We just, we just looked at that. We don't know. Paul is saying, I want you to look at your hope. Find your contentment there. Look at your tribulation. Find your abiding, your constant, your endurance in what you're doing because of your hope. And when you get to the end of it and you're instant in prayer, remember, God is there helping you, carrying these prayers with you. When you don't feel like praying, and you don't know what to pray. And all you can do is seemingly just almost sigh to God. You can lean into that. Because he's there carrying that burden to the throne. When you feel empowered and you get down and you start praying for everybody and everything. He's the one that's helping you get that there. He's the one that's telling God what you really need. Even in our service, it's really all about Him. It's pointing us all back to the gospel, all back to the work of God, all back to the building of His kingdom. That's when we can go back in the Psalms that we look at, that we sing, that we go through. And with David, we can say, not to us, O Lord, not to us be the glory, but to Your name be the glory forever. Because even in our service, he's the one that's working through us. He's the one that's empowering everything. And we can find contentment 
and joy in that. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be together with your people again tonight.